Good morning. One of the joys of being in my first year here in Colorado Springs is that I get to establish myself with a whole new group of medical personnel. One of them is, of course, a dentist. As you are told from the time you are a child, you are supposed to go and visit a dentist once every six months. Now, that is great. And so I went and established myself with a fantastic dentist related to many of you here in this church, and uh, he was great. But whenever I went to his office, they asked me to fill out a form. And at the very top of the form was the following question. Do you want to keep your teeth for your whole life? (laughs) Now, I understand that's a valid question, but I'm just curious who answers no to that question. No, I would love to lose my teeth. And then they ask you a variety of other questions. And what I realized later is that that was somewhat of a setup before you meet the dental hygienist, right? Because then the hygienist asks you implication questions of your desire to keep all of your own teeth. For instance, they ask you, do you brush twice a day? And you're like, most of the time? And they say, well, do you floss? And you say, I've heard of that. And (laughs) then they ask you, think the implication of toothbrush you use and a variety of other questions. And, And I think the implication is that while you may know that you have to care for your teeth, your actions may actually be inconsistent with that desire. In other words, many of us who go to the dentist often have a little bit of guilt that we are not walking in the path of excellent dental care as much as we know that we should. Well, I want us to keep that in mind as we think about our text today, because in it we have a fascinating story. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter going at it head to head, Uh, what some may call an apostolic smackdown. Now, I think that's exaggerated. I think that what we have here is uh, a misunderstanding in the early history of the church. What's happening is that in this particular case, the Apostle Peter is caught sort of in evidence that there is a difference between what he knows in this text. I want us to look at this because it's so important. Now, let's think about why it's important. The Christian movement is just beginning. It's only probably 15 to 20 years old at this moment in time when this story happens. And it started in Jerusalem, as you can read about in Acts chapter 2 and following, and thousands of Jewish people had come to faith. But after the stoning of one of the church's earliest deacons, a man named Stephen, the Christians were scattered into different parts of the world. And one of those places they were scattered to was a city named Antioch. Now, this is Antioch in Syria. And there, not only Jewish people began to hear the good news of the gospel, but also people who were not Jewish, what the Bible calls Gentiles. And the church grew and grew, and this was very significant because Antioch was a much more important city globally than even Jerusalem. 
Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire behind only Rome and Alexandria. Now, today, it uh, practically doesn't exist, but at that time, it had over 500,000 people living there, over 65,000 Jewish people living there. So a movement that would have started with Jewish people understanding that the Messiah had come and then being spread to the people in the town would have had a significant impact. And it's why this encounter between Paul and Peter was not only known to the people who lived in Antioch, but had been heard about by even people who lived in Galatia. See, most writers believe that's why Paul is bringing this up. Because people in Galatia may have been told, you know this thing we're telling you that you have to take on all of the Jewish law, the ceremonial law, the food laws, uh, all of the clean laws. This Peter showed that you need to do this by his actions in Antioch. And so here Paul is trying to help them understand the truth of the situation. So we're going to look at it under two two headings this morning. First of all, I want us to look at the difference between what we know and how we walk. And secondly, I want us to look at the difference between fear and faith. Firstly, the difference between what we know and how we walk. We see that really in the text, right? If, uh, if you look down at the end of our actual text, verse 14, notice what Paul says to Peter, who he calls here Cephas. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? What Paul is saying to Peter is, you know better. You know better. But you're acting or walking in a crooked path. Now, I want us to consider for a second, how do we know that Peter knew that his actions were inappropriate. And so let's just do a little quick Bible survey of things Peter knew. If you look back at Mark chapter 7, in uh, verse 14 and following, you find this account of Jesus. And of course, not only was Jesus there, but so were his disciples, Peter being uh, oftentimes the loudest and most obvious among them. And it says here in verse 14 of Mark 7 that Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. The things that come out of a person are what defile him. Who did Peter uh, ask him about that parable? And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. And then in parentheses there in in that verse 19, it says, Thus he declared all foods clean. The Apostle Peter was there. He heard Jesus' lesson. He heard his application. And he understood that what that means is there is no clean or unclean. And you would think, okay, there you go. We have good evidence that Peter knew this, but maybe he forgot. I don't think so. Because if you were to look over at Acts chapter 10, Peter had a very interesting encounter. While many of us may believe that someone like the Apostle Paul was really the first and wrong, it was actually the Apostle Peter. 
And the way God showed Peter that this was okay, in other words, even though socially Jewish people and non-Jewish people wouldn't have hung out, they wouldn't have had dinner together, God wanted to make sure Peter understood that this was a new age, that because of the coming of Jesus Christ, everything had changed. And so, one day, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 10, Peter is on the rooftop in a place called Joppa, and he has a vision. And it's of a giant sheet that comes down from heaven, and in it are all kinds of animals, clean and unclean. And God gives to Peter the great barbecuer's verse, kill and eat, right? And Peter says, what? I have never eaten anything unclean in my life. And the voice from heaven says, do not call what God has declared clean, unclean. And just to make sure that Peter gets it, he has that same vision three times. Fire up the smoker and throw in some pork shoulder, right? When he has these visions, I know that's not in the text, that's just my application of the text, Whenever he has these visions, God also tells him, some people are going to show up at your door, and you need to go with them, because I am basically sending you for a special purpose. And sure enough, some people show up at his door, and he goes down, and it is people from a centurion, from a Roman, from a Gentile, and they say, we have been sent to retrieve you and take you to our master's home. And so Peter goes with them, and just to be clear that Peter understood exactly what he was about. In verse 28 of Acts chapter 10, when he arrives in Cornelius' home, he says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. People he clearly, Peter got the lesson. Three times with a vision, a direct command to go with these people, he clearly got it. But his contemporaries didn't get it at all. In Acts chapter 11, those other Jewish people in Jerusalem are very upset that Peter went into the home of a Gentile. Uh, In verse uh, 11, chapter 1, it says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But then Peter explained everything that happened. He said, you have to understand, God gave me a vision three times. He told me to go with these people. And then whenever uh, I went and I told them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And how in the world could I deny that God had done an amazing work? And how could I not give them the sign of baptism? In verse 18 of chapter 11, it says, When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so let's ask the question, what did Peter know? God's will that he no longer consider people unclean or that he he should pull himself away from fellowship with people who were not Jewish. He knew it better than any living human being. And yet, he did not act in accordance with that in this particular situation. Now, why is that? 
You know, in preacher world, we have a little expression that says that even though it's only 10 inches from your head to your heart, which I suspect that's a variable number and not an absolute number, uh, even though it's roughly 10 inches from your head to your heart, it's the greatest distance for truth to travel. That, that may be true, but I would actually argue that it's a much greater distance from your head into your life. To actually walk out what it is that you know is true. Isn't it challenging? I mean, think about it. Let's say that you're a child in your parents' home, and you know in your head that it honors God to honor and obey your parents. And yet, you find that that is very difficult to do. You know that you should honor and obey your parents, and yet, so often when they tell you to do something, you forget. Whenever they say it's time for you to come to dinner, you continue to be enthralled with whatever video game you happen to be playing. My favorite right now is Breath of the Wild. And I have learned for those, this is just for people who understand, this is insider language here. If you ever get involved in Breath of the Wild, which is a Nintendo Switch game, you lose track not just of hours, but of days. And even though you know you should listen to your parents when they call you to dinner, you simply don't act in accordance with that. Or let's say that some of you are in a marriage relationship and you know that you should lay down your life for your spouse. And yet, too often you find that when they get on your nerves or they aren't acting exactly like you would like them, you justify treating them with less respect than they deserve as a man or woman made in the image of God. You know it, you just don't walk in accordance with it, right? Or let's bring it down to something for everyone who drives. You're driving up and down academy. Now, I have found that driving up and down academy is a test of sanctification every day right? I don't know why. I don't know why Academy. I mean, Powers is a close second, but Academy is an opportunity for you to decide whether the people driving the vehicles that are either going too slow, too fast, or changing lanes too often or not enough, whether those people are more valuable than how much longer it's going to take you to get home or to your appointment or to work And it is possible that even though you know you should treat other people with respect and regard and with love, you find yourself internally or externally considering everyone else on the road an idiot or a maniac, right? I know, but I don't do. And this is exactly what Paul is pointing out in this passage. Notice verse 13. He says that when Peter pulled away, the rest of the Jews acted. What he's saying is Peter knew that it didn't make a difference whether he ate with Gentiles or Jewish people or a combination thereof, and yet he acted like it did make a difference. He acted like there was a distinction between Jew and Gentile in terms of their standing before God. He acted as though there were people who were holy and people who were not, as Paul says later in this text, not Gentile sinners. That really should be in parenthesis, as that's the way Jewish people would have historically thought about people who weren't Jewish. He knew 
it didn't make a difference. And yet he pulled away. And Paul says in doing that, he and everyone else who followed him acted hypocritically. Now what that, we know what hypocritical means, right? Hypocritical is when you act inconsistently with what you say you believe. The word originally comes from the theater, the Greek theater, where someone would wear a mask. And so a hypocrite was someone who basically was playing a part. And he said this is exactly what Peter and the others were doing. They were playing a part that was diametrically opposed to what they knew to be true. Now, that is very helpful for us. It is helpful for us to understand why Paul made such a big deal about this. See, some people look at this text and they say, well, doesn't Paul say when he writes to people in Corinth that you can either, you know, eat food that has been sacrificed to idols or choose not to? You can either eat this or not eat this, drink this or not drink this. So why is he making a big deal about this? And the answer is that for Paul, there are things that are what we call technically adiaphora. That is, things that are indifferent. It doesn't matter whether you do it or you don't do it. It's an issue of freedom. But it's not an issue of freedom. If by choosing to act in a certain way, I am implicitly communicating that there is a truth that does not exist And by Peter pulling away, a leader in the church, probably the best-known leader in the Christian church, by him communicating in his actions that Gentiles were not up to snuff in terms of the spiritual relationship that they should have so that he would be justified in not eating with them, he was communicating they were still lacking. Understand what he's communicating. The implicit statement, and I'm saying implicit, that means he didn't say it, but his actions communicated it. Uh, His implicit teaching is you are second-class spiritual citizens. You Gentiles are second-class spiritual citizens. And that's wrong. He knew it was wrong. He had demonstrated that was wrong. Earlier in Galatians chapter 2, he had agreed along with James and John with Paul that it was wrong. And yet, he acted differently. This is so helpful for us. One, when we think of the original context, we need to understand that the Apostle Paul is writing about this story because he's letting the Galatians know that even though you may have heard that Peter implicitly suggested that Gentiles in and of themselves were a second-class citizen, that that is, many commentators point out, we don't know how the story ended. And that's interesting. I don't really know what to do with that as a Bible teacher, but it doesn't say yeah, Peter, like, he was like, oh, I'm super sorry. You know, I, you know let's hang out. I'm going to have four dinners with Gentiles just to show that it's all cool. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us that. It, it doesn't tell us that they wrote up a document. It doesn't, why? Because the timing here is very interesting. Just, to, just for those of you who are Bible nerds, this is just for Bible nerds. The rest of you, you can be like, I'll think about my favorite song for a couple minutes. Um, for those of you who are Bible nerds, when does this event happen? The best understanding of when this event happened was right after Paul and Barnabas in places like Galatia. 
And they had just gotten back. It says in uh, Acts uh, chapter 14, the end of chapter 14, that when they came back from that first missionary journey, they spent a long time in Antioch. And so most believe that this happened then. Why do we think it happened then? Because at the beginning of Acts chapter 15, the issue about Jewish and Gentile relationships blows up. Because some men come from Jerusalem, sounds a lot like the guys that, that show up here in Antioch, and they say, you must be circumcised in order to be saved. And that leads to the first presbytery, which is the way Presbyterians like to talk about it anyway, the first church council where they decide what is the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 15. Most people believe that what's happening here between Paul and Peter is happening just before that pivotal meeting. But what's already happened is damage has been done to the churches that Paul's planted, including the one in Galatia, where this misunderstanding and misapplication of the gospel is spreading and hurting the very young faith of Christians where Paul and Barnabas had done his ministry. And so is this important? It's so important. Let's think for a second how we can apply this in our lives. I know that probably no one in this room would explicitly ever say to another person who claims faith in Jesus Christ that they were a second-class citizen. We would never say that because they come from a different ethnic background or a different racial heritage or they're different socioeconomically or they're different politically or they're different educationally, I know that you would never explicitly say you don't measure up. And you are an inferior Christian. But we communicate it implicitly with every snub that we give. With every disassociation. With every time that we don't invite that person to uh, something in our home or some event that we're going to. With every lack of engagement when it is so obvious that you would enter in. Every time we are implicitly saying there's a distance between me and you. And as they used to say back when I was in high school, I am holier than thou. Right? Nobody ever said that. Right? We just said that about people. Right? But implicitly, aren't we suggesting it with every snub? that people who are different ethnically, racially, politically, socioeconomically, and educationally, when we simply do not engage in relationship, community, and show neighborliness with other people, that there is a difference and that they are second class. Here Paul says the gospel can't move forward when we are acting in a crooked way. I'm getting that language uh, by what he actually says uh, notice in verse 14, he says, I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. That not in step is literally the word in the original language that we get the word orthopedic. It's walking. And, and ortho means straight. Pedic means walking. In other words, what Paul is saying is you're not walking straight. And when you're not walking straight, you're not 
going to get to the destination you desire and you're going to disable people from getting there as well. And isn't this a great opportunity on a Sunday morning to think, how am I implicitly communicating that I believe that I am more advanced spiritually than other people around me? Just in case you think you are, real quick, you're not. We are all terrible sinners. Terrible sinners. We all deserve not God's grace and pleasure, but we deserve His judgment. We deserve to be punished, not loved and welcomed. All of us, all of us, if we are going to have any spiritual standing at all, it must be because it is given to us by God as a gift and received by faith, which is not an action, but a passive reception of what God offers us. It is only through understanding that God, seeing how messed up we all were, became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. That He was the only one who ever could have claimed to be spiritually superior because He obeyed everything God said perfectly. And yet at the end of His life, He went and died on a cross to pay the penalty to bear the judgment that my sin and your sin deserve. And so when we think about how we're doing spiritually, we are sinners saved. Someone else is saved by grace. We have no advantage over someone else who is saved by grace. They are our brother, our sister. And this is so important for us to understand. Secondly, I know... I always run out of time before that second point, but you got an extra hour of sleep, so you should be good. <laughs> I want us to talk about the difference between fear and faith. Notice, notice we actually see just a little bit of Peter's motivation for acting crookedly, differently than he actually knew was the correct way to act. Notice uh, for certain, we'll start back in verse 12. For before a certain man came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, there's been plenty of ink spilled on exactly what Peter feared. I'm going to give you the two biggest options. One, his reputation was being called into question. In other words, these people who claimed to be from James, we don't have time to talk about whether they actually were what they were doing, whether they just said they were from James, or whether they had a recommendation from James, but James had no idea what they were doing. Yeah, that's for like small group Bible study later on. But what we know is that whoever these guys were, they came and suggested something to Peter that made him afraid. Maybe they were saying, you know, people back in Jerusalem are saying that you're lawless, you're libertine, you're hanging out with a bunch of Gentiles, which for Jewish people living in Jerusalem would have just been absolutely weird and upsetting and disturbing. And perhaps he feared that his reputation as like the big fisherman, the head of the, the, the apostles would, would be diminished. I don't really think that's what it is. Most writers, including uh, one that I, I've, I've really enjoyed, uh, Longnecker, uh, Longernecker, it's a very long last name, which is appropriate. Uh, anyway, he actually argues, and I think he makes a pretty good case, 
that what he feared was that Jewish Christians were potentially facing increased persecution from their Jewish comrades because of blurring this line between Jew and Gentile. That makes some sense because, as I said, even Antioch was a significant city. And just about 10 years before this happened, in 37 through 41 AD, the Roman emperor Caligula unleashed persecution against Jewish people. And so Jewish people here in Antioch and over in Jerusalem had paid a penalty for being distinctively Jewish. And when you pay a penalty for such a thing, you actually value it all the more. And so it's very possible that Jewish people in Jerusalem were saying, look, I might be interested in Jesus, but not when you're willy-nilly hanging out with a bunch of Gentiles. And so perhaps, this is giving Peter the best reading I can give him. Perhaps he thought, I don't want to diminish the movement in Israel because of my action in Antioch. Because even the text, when it talks about him separating himself, he drew back and separated himself, those verbs are imperfect, which imply that he continued to pull away. The problem is Paul sees it just for what it is. He says, the, if you're fearful about God's providence in the reaching of people in Israel, or you're fearful about your reputation, you need to be more fearful that you are saying something that's not true about the gospel. What Paul is saying is, while there is a difference between fear and faith, the difference is through faith, my fears are prime, have a primacy. In other words, in faith, that means I now fear something more than I fear anything else. And what should Peter's fear have been? to diminish in any way the significance of what Jesus Christ had done, who he was, and the offer of the gospel. He should have been more afraid of implicitly communicating things that were untrue about how we can be right with God than he was about anything else. You see, when we're a believer, it's not that we don't have fear. It's just that we have primary fears. What do I fear the most? Not living in a way that honors the Lord. What do I fear the most? Acting or speaking in a way that, that implies that what I say isn't true. In other words, what I fear is not enjoying and honoring the Lord in every possible way. When I fear that most, my other fears become subservient to that one. And so am I afraid of what other people will say about me or think about me? Goodness, you guys are all going to go home wondering whether I floss my teeth or not. Am I a little bit afraid of that? And how often I brush some dental, you know, sort of judgment? I'm a little afraid of that, but not nearly as afraid of you not knowing the gospel. That God loves you just because of Jesus. That he wants to enjoy a relationship with you forever just because of Jesus. And I fear that you won't know that more than I fear that you think I'm an idiot or a fool. Paul rebukes Peter because his fears are too small. 
He needs to have a prime fear, and that is a fear of not telling the truth about God and the good news that he has given. And that is so incredibly helpful. John Calvin actually argues that uh, in his commentary on this passage. He says, Peter was more desirous to please than to edify and more solicitous to inquire what would uh, satisfy or gratify the Jews than what would expedite uh, or uh, be expedient for the whole body. I love it. Calvin's saying Peter took his eye off the ball and he was worried about the And that we will say both explicitly and implicitly the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for how good you are to us. Lord, we know even as we look at this text that even people who have had more access to Jesus and the marvelous vision of his perfection can still forget to walk in a way that's straight. If that's true for Peter, how much more true is it for us? Oh Lord, by Your Spirit, please help us to have a consistency between what You have taught us through Your Word and the way we talk and think and live and treat other people. I pray that we will not explicitly say one thing, but implicitly suggest another. And I pray, O Lord, that we will have a great and glorious fear of the Lord, that we may fear only be enjoying and giving honor to you. We must have your spirit for this. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.